Greetings, everyone. I'm excited to welcome Dan Marcus, co-founder and CEO at Ramp, to the show. Dan, welcome. Great. Thanks, Brent. Ben, it's good to, good to be on. Yeah, thanks for coming on the show today. So let's dive right in. Tell us a little bit about your background. Sure. I actually did this today because I did another pitch. Founder my whole life, pretty much. I think I worked for someone for about three months when I was 18, and that was that. Probably don't have enough experience to say I wouldn't do it again, but... but went down that path and a long journey of founding my own businesses across multiple sectors and really found my passion in SaaS. So I suppose that's why you reached out. Um, and my current co-founder and CEO, Jan and I founded a previous business called Magnetic. And that was an ERP workflow system for marketing and advertising agencies. So really got my racing stripes there, yeah, bootstrapped, felt the pain of building something with shoestring budgets. Uh, you'd be blown away by what our development team built on a South African RAND-based bootstrap account. This was when we were based out in Cape Town and, and grew it out of there. And there was two developers and that was amazing just to see how people you know, hustled, hacked and, and did what they needed to, to get us to a point where eventually we did fundraise. And that was really cool. It was about a eight or nine year journey uh, and eventually fortunate to have an exit sort of late 2018. And moved into the firm that acquired us. Really great experience. Got to work with some US firms and you know, sort of grow my partnership stripes in a more corporate environment, but still, still very much you know, cell phone startup type business. So nice way to get a good balance. And uh, yeah, eventually found my way to Ram. And uh, here we are today. Yeah, here we are. So yeah, serial founder, it sounds like. So was it always in tech or SaaS? Was, were, did you do stuff outside of SaaS or, or mainly tech did, companies? Yeah, did stuff outside of SaaS. So event, event companies, I built a conference company. So we built out a, 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 a large marketing and conference business out of Africa. Some other tech firms, uh, we mm -hmm. built a company called Get Todd, which was basically Uber for locksmiths, plumbers, you know, the likes of home service automation. And yeah, so kind of a good mix. I suppose the one, the one that got away, which I'm actually happy it did, was that we, we tried to launch an online poker site. This must have been around 2003. Raised some money in Cape Town. Just never got off the ground because we couldn't get approval to get a license out of South Africa, but I'm quite happy. I didn't go down that route. We pivoted that business, turned it into a, a sort of corporate team building using game theory, teaching people how to use poker in business and business skills in poker. That was quite fun. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so yeah, amazing background. So tell us about your current focus at Ramp. So what does Ramp offer for products and services? Yeah, sure. Quite a bit of a story behind it. I'll give the shortened mm -hmm. version, but my, sure. my other co-founder and, and chief strategy officer, Angus, was very early at King Digital Entertainment, sort of around 2010, where he joined as VP of marketing. Very simple girl. Go and acquire as many users as you can. Here's your CPA. And went out and did that. And they had a ridiculous CPA target and shut the lights out, right? Very high amount and budget that he had and i always say we're very fortunate that he he wasn't a typical marketer he was able to really get stuck into the data he had two hats on you know, deploying marketing spend but also looking after the holistic forecast of the business and and he was able to determine the right level of marketing spend and what that impact would be on top line revenue and and was able to give conviction to the board to say hey you're spending this money elsewhere. You need to focus it on Candy Crush, where it's currently set to do 50 million, maybe 100 million that calendar year. And he predicted it doing 2 billion in revenue in, in under 11 months. 
and he was able to to convince them to remove their marketing cap and they ended up spending north of 350 million that year and, and hit 1.94 billion very long story really condensed obviously i know we haven't got too much time but but an incredible incredible story from his side and then through his experience in gaming and working with incredibly large amounts of data he was able to start to understand this cohort based forecasting methodology and how you can use that to your advantage to accurately forecast and predict top line revenue growth and and users and fast forward a few years he's obviously gone through a lot of pain what happens when you you can't move quickly when you need to unpack issues and triage where things went wrong he had this great idea to say hey i shouldn't be trying to run spreadsheets and calculate these things with my fingers there's got to be a tool out there and there are a lot of these ltv prediction tools and automated platforms that to help you you know run your budgets online, but there was nothing out there solving that real tough problem of predicting top line revenue in consumer-based businesses. It's very hard to predict. It's non-subscription based, so it's varying spends and obviously comes back in repeat, repeat transactions. And so we've done that. We've built a SaaS platform that what I like to say creates a single language of forecasting across the business. Ben, you obviously, you, you say fractional CFO, you, you've seen it, right? So many different ways to forecast and, and run your models and methodology inside a single organization. And so we bring all of that together. And ultimately, our platform allows a CFO to run forecasts and scenarios in minutes versus weeks, if not months. But what makes us special is that we bring the model to the platform. So we're not just an online FPNA tool that allows you to put your model into the, you know, all your costs and, and everything into the tool and you've still got to build the modeling. We bring that very specific cohort based model that we say is an opinionated model to the platform. We are very open about how that modeling works. It has to be, you can't have a black box. People need to, to obviously understand how it works to trust the outputs and yeah, customers get to run the inputs on their side. Modeling does the work and the outputs are customized for, for their needs. So a couple more questions here. So predicting co- consumer-based businesses. So any type of consumer product, or is it you know consumer tech yeah. SaaS, or, or if I just have a direct consumer product, so any type of consumer revenue prediction. For now, just I mean purely because of Angus's background and our, our incredible unfair advantage in the gaming world, we are solely focused on mobile gaming businesses for now. Okay. Our methodology is focused on three core pillars: user acquisition, monetization, and retention. Any business really focuses on that, right? But our core ICP will be a consumer-based business that has non-subscription-based revenue model, varying spend when they do have transactions, and three to four repeat transactions a year at least. And then obviously need a significant, not significant, but a decent amount of new users a month. So we're talking 10,000 monthly new users on average, six months of data, and then we can work with them. Okay, yeah, and that, that seems like a big market. And then you said, let the CFOs run. So are you selling into the CFO? This is a tool for the CFO and say, hmm. at the marketing department or, or sales department, or they also use it? Who, who's actually championing and owning the tool within that company? Yeah, absolutely. Right now, the go-to person that we speak to is generally the CFO, depending on the size of the business, sometimes the CEO directly. They're the ones that are looking after the overall budget, looking after the core metrics that they need to understand on the levers they need to pull to grow the business. But then from a usage perspective, once we're in with the CFO, they'll bring in their team. So we'll have UA, 
data head of data analytics will start to use the tool. But the CFO will ultimately pull from different resources and different areas of the business, plug that all into to to the inputs, and then provide the output from a forecast perspective. And and I don't know if you noticed on social media there was a wave of posts, you know, earlier this year, a couple months ago, or even a month ago, just about you know 2023 is the year to selling to the CFO, right? We're pulling back on spend, very tight with our budgets. And so are you, are you seeing the same thing? Is it taking more convincing of the CFO? Or are they more hesitant? What are you kind of seeing on the front lines right now selling into that CFO group? Yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting one. I, I, I absolutely see it. I think I, I think I saw that article that you're talking about. And on, on the flip side, if I talk more about the industry we focus on, there's quite a trend in gaming where there's, there's, there's a lot of studios focusing more on their current titles as opposed to going and creating new titles so that they can focus on the current ones to make them more profitable. Right? How do you extract more out of, of what you have? So that's a great leverage for what we're focused on. We, we help them do that. In terms of the general SaaS perspective, it's, it's always the first thing that goes, right? In marketing, when things are down, everyone wants to cut marketing budget. Then you know, focus on the CFO and the tools, cut the tools unless they're really adding that value. Where we are able to, to kind of infiltrate that is that we're not a full stack FPNA platform. We come in not to replace the entire stack that you're working on. We're a, you know, and it's the best way to say it. You know, we, we're effectively their right-hand man that we're coming in and helping them get to those profitable areas that they're looking at. But most importantly, they I had a good answer for this the other day. Um, yeah, we'll come back to it. Yeah, yeah, it's a little yeah. more yeah convincing or ROI, but yeah, like I said, yeah, you're not in there trying to uproot their whole FP&A stack and their whole forecasting no. budgeting solution, yeah. but very specific niche, you know, and especially with it seems like like you said, mobile gaming, just a lot of data play there to figure out you know how to best forecast and how to best apply those marketing resources. Yeah, and we're not we're not coming in and charging ridiculous fees for it. We yeah we. The way that we priced it, we looked at what an FPNA resource would cost a year and how we can support that role. And we kind of priced it alongside that. But we haven't felt that need of cutting. But we actually had a call with a client the other day about it where we, if, as long as we can prove our value that it's not just for the CFO, obviously CFOs are seen as cost centers, right? They, that's why everything gets cut. Anything, any cost that you must hate it, right? Anything you want to put into your, your tech stack is seen as a cost and it's you know, oh. met with that hammer. And uh, the, the conversation I had with them was, well, they've got so many business units inside their organization that are all pulling from the CFO or need their requirement. And if, as long as we can prove value at those business unit levels and that can roll up to the CFO, then it becomes a no-brainer for them. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll continue to push on that. But I mean, it is absolutely out there. So in, in, I would say in the majority of anyone selling to that CFO stack is going to feel that pain. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I like that because it's a good angle because I think sometimes CFOs are harder on their own groups where if we have to pull budgets back, then in their group, it's like, yeah, we're not spending a thing because we've got to help all these other departments and, and facilitate, you know, you know, the operations and better efficiency. So that makes a ton of sense. Yeah, uh, yeah not just I mean, for finance, but yeah, the entire org. Yeah, I suppose they throw a question back at you because you, you see it all the time, right? Is, is how, how much of... The CFO stack are you seeing getting pulled out more from executives to say this could just stay as a manual function we don't need to automate it stay in spreadsheets yeah I'm sure you see that pain all the time 
Oh yeah, especially in the you know finance and accounting function, it's always we're taking processes, yeah, from spreadsheets or manual process into technology, and that's always that change. And then eventually, maybe we rip and replace the technology. But then it's like, all right, you know, how much pain is this? I can just keep doing what I'm doing, you know. But eventually, as you scale up, the problem becomes magnified. You know, you can't handle yeah. that volume doing it manually. So, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Right. We 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 had a we had a call not too long ago with a prospect where. They'd built their entire cohort-based model on spreadsheets. Yeah, it was amazing, obviously. Like, I mean, you, you can do it, but they demoed it to us because the, the, the comment was, well, we, we're okay. We can't spend money on it, but let me do a demo. Within two minutes, they changed something on the spreadsheet that just threw errors across the entire thing, and they couldn't fix it on the call. And it just shows, you know, it's, there, there are those areas where, unfortunately, you have to automate stuff properly when you, when you rely on spreadsheets for that really heavy load is potential for trouble yep oh always always yeah that's the biggest fear of the cfo is some sort of error formulary that you don't catch and it just yeah then things get really really bad later on but it's yeah. so really interesting and, and yeah sorry to, sorry to interrupt there I, yeah. I suppose from angus's story one of the pain points that he he felt was there was an, an error on a forecast that cost tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars in market cap decline because of an incorrect forecast and they were able to fix it, but it took a few days, if not a week of executives coming into a room together because everything was in spreadsheets and that triaging is just super slow, right? And it's, it's as soon as you get anything, whether it's through ramp, I mean, we can do it, but a lot of these tools in the cloud give you that capability to triage really quickly so that you can get back to what really matters. Yeah, I love spreadsheets, but there's, mm -hmm. there's a, a limit to it. But so tell us mm -hmm. when was ramp founded? Late. Well, founded late 2018, started development early 2019. Okay. All right. And then where are you guys located? A head office in the UK. And then we got a lot of developers and data scientists actually fit out in Cape Town in South Africa. Okay. And then yeah. what's your current, current team size? 33, 34. I think we've just brought on one more. So yeah, 34. Okay. Perfect. And anything you want to share around your, your ARR range, revenue range? Range is, I'll give you a range, sort of 750 mm -hmm. to a million okay. in ARR. Yeah. And we only really started pushing the sales model in terms of SaaS sort of mid last year. It's still taking our time. It's, a, it's an incredibly difficult problem we're solving. So we want to make sure we solve it properly before we really yep. start to scale. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And this, I think this will be really interesting as a CFO. So tell us a little bit about your go-to-market motion, because obviously you have a niche right now, the mobile gaming app mm -hmm. market. So... I assume, do you have an identified list of companies there that's set now is just reaching out to, to the CFOs trying to get into the finance department? Yeah, yeah, I mean, spot on. So ABM approach for me, sort of for the first, I would say next year from now, it's always been a big passion of mine, the, <clears throat> that very targeted ABM approach and building a story around each of those those users because you you can start to understand so much about them. And the nice thing in in not just gaming and any app-based business, there's a lot of tools out there, data.ai, sensor tower, who pretty much classify by revenue band and size of business your, your entire market and you can handpick from there. So that's that's for now, but at the same time, really starting to develop a content strategy, bringing up thought leadership. We've obviously got incredible domain expertise in our team. So starting to get that flywheel going and building building ourselves a reputation in the market. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, makes a ton of sense. And so how much capital have you raised to date now? $5 million. And we okay. did our seed round late last year. Okay. 
So five million raised today. And then what did you see? What triggers or milestones said or, or indicated that you were ready to, to raise some capital? Yeah, it's a good question. And I suppose also timing. I know one of your questions was around learnings. It's, we, we, we've been talking about raising for about two years and we were fortunate to be able to bootstrap a fairly decent sized team before we raised. And that was because we, we brought on a few consulting clients that we were able to work with them and their data while building, while building the tool on the side. So, so that was great. Meant we didn't have to give away equity. But I suppose the first, that first trigger was we're probably going to move way too slowly if we stay bootstrapped because it's easy to say it's okay we'll get to that we'll get to that and and i felt like we needed that that pressure number one and number two we got to that point where we were bringing on more clients we needed more resources we needed to accelerate the the data science capabilities our team were just burning right we we, we couldn't keep burning it at every end so so that was a big trigger for me and yeah so we kind of Turned it on. I think we started 4th of July is when we kicked off the race. And we don't like to do things easy. Started it at the middle of a UK summer and a tech downturn. But I mean, my opinion, if you look at it from if we had raised in January last year, we would have been in trouble. And if we'd waited until December, we would have been in trouble. So I think we got it smack bang in the middle, which is good. Yeah, perfect. Perfect. And yeah. with that $5 million seed round, what lessons learned you know, in that process that you'd like to share with other founders listening? Yeah. How long have you got? I've actually written, written a few blogs on, on my learnings. I would say the first one would be around not testing the waters. Like don't test the waters when you start, right? You, when you raise, you need to go out and know you're raising, know what you're committed to, know the time impact it's going to have. The minute you test the waters, everyone likes to have conversation. You're never having conversations. You're always raising when you're speaking to, to VC, even angel. Um, but the problem is, when you're testing the water, you're speaking to two or three people in that week at best. You're not getting any consistency. You're not learning. You're not driving any natural progression or pressure. You don't have to tell people you're raising and speaking to hundred people. They can feel the energy. And if you do it the other way, that you come in prepared, ready, you nail your 30 to 40 pitches in the first two weeks, everyone lines up on that same timeline so all your second conversations are happening around the same time so when you get to a point of term sheets are coming they're all coming around the same time so you're not having to one make a decision of one or two term sheets hopefully you get lots but also two you're not wasting investors times so, you know the ones that pull the trigger first also don't want to be sitting and waiting while you do your do your homework so that that was really important for me obviously being prepared you know, have everything that you need it's obvious but have all your investment decks have all your post meeting information, be able to hit send on any questions that get asked. And with that, build a question, sort of, what do you call it? Parking lot on the side, right? Anything that comes up in every single pitch, make a note of it, the good, the bad, the ugly. You're, you're going to be shit the first few times you pitch, even if it's your second round, the third round, you forget about it. No matter how, you know, we, we thought we were special, no one's special, you, <laughs> you're gonna be rubbish when you start. But take those learnings, don't be afraid to ask the investors for feedback. And no is fine. Get feedback on it. It's, I think we had one person in our entire round that didn't give us feedback. So they, the, the, the VCs, I would say, the other learning is they are people too. I think there's all of this pressure built up from all the movies and series out there that you've got to be scared of people. They're still people, right? They, they're doing the same that you're doing just on the other side of it. And they're, they're always very happy to share. I'd say probably also understand who your, I like, you know, 
when you're selling, you've got to know your ICP. Same way you need to know who your ideal investor profile is. Build that, understand who they are. That goes a long way with the investor themselves. When they know that you're speaking to them for a purpose, you understand what their portfolio is about, that will bring a lot of respect. Yeah, what else? Be transparent. Don't hide anything. You will get found out. There's no doubt about it. I heard horrific stories during our raise. Right? So, so from other founders, I know we're raising at the same time. Just, just be honest. You know, especially late stage, everyone, everyone loses that client. Everyone has that bad news. It happens. It's business. Don't hide it. You're going to have a board meeting with this investor a few weeks after you close the round, and that's going to come up. And it's, you know, it's a ten-year relationship. You want to make sure you get off on, get off on the right foot. I suppose the last two understand the time that it's going to take. It's a full-time investment doing this, but there's no excuse that your business doesn't carry on on the side. So be prepared. Have, have everything you need to have that continue and you'll be okay. And VCs talk to each other. <laughs> Don't bullshit them. They, they, are, they are talking every day. They will know who you are and, and you, you can use that to your advantage, of course, but keep your messaging consistent uh, and you'll be okay. That's some yeah. of it. I've got lots. Go read my blog. Oh, that's great. Yeah, you'll have, to, you'll have <laughs> yeah. to share those those blog posts and I'll put in the show notes. Yeah, well, but I, I took at least eight bullet points here of, of insight. But I love that, right? You're either in or out. You're either fundraising. And I've heard this before. It's been a while. You know, either you're doing it or you can't just, yeah, test the waters like you said. Yeah, totally. you're either yeah. in or out. There's no partial partial fundraising. So great insight, 100%. great lessons learned. And we'll have to yeah, share those blog posts in the show notes. So Dan, I really appreciate your time today. As we wrap up, what's next for Ramp? What's coming up that's new and exciting? Sure, plenty. We've, we've actually just Im- implemented our, our sort of next quarter OKRs, plans that we need to do. We, we, we're in that, that favorite stage, right? Getting that golden product market fit that everyone wants. We've, we've absolutely got proof of concept. The problem is so obvious what we're solving. We know it's difficult, but really getting that core product market fit is important for us. So, you know, all of the motions around that, around improving the UI, getting all our training material up and running continuously. I think a big thing for us is understanding that really critical level of accuracy that we're proud of. Everyone asks, how accurate are you? We want to make sure that we, we, we nail that. So that's, that's big for us. And Something cool we've done is just really brought in our senior leadership team now that we've grown to a size that, that kind of warrants that. And it's been incredible to see how that's come together with, with our vision and, and the values. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm excited about yeah, moving, moving out of that founder-led sales world and actually driving a, a high-performance business is, is exciting. Yeah, that's always a big transition from founder-led sales to building out that sales team for the first time. It's always exciting. Yeah, Um, yeah, that's great stuff. Exciting stuff for 2023. So Dan, really appreciate your time today sharing your your story and your background. And if listeners would like to learn more about Ramp, where should we send them online? Sure, rampgrowth.com. All right, perfect. So if you'd like to learn more about Ramp, check out rampgrowth.com. And Dan, really appreciate your time today and sharing your story. No, anytime. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it.